Happy Monday to you all. Unfortunately, due to some technical difficulties yesterday, we were not able to record the sermon that I preached. And by technical difficulties, I mean I didn't have my microphone on. So uh, here it is. I am recording the sermon that I preached yesterday in worship. And this is taken from Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 30. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were, because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. This is the gospel of our Lord. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Last year, the sports documentary, The Last Dance, captivated the hearts and minds of many. This 10-part miniseries, which aired first on ESPN, but now is available to watch on Netflix, goes through the career of Michael Jordan, focusing especially on his final season with the Chicago Bulls. The miniseries contains never-before-seen footage of what it was like behind the scenes during that last Chicago Bulls championship run. Now, I'm pretty sure this brought back fond memories for many Chicagoans and made Bulls fans beam with pride, if not wonder what if they would have been able to keep the team together. To the city of Chicago and Bulls fans, there is no debate. Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player to ever play the game. Last week Sunday, PBS aired the first of four-part documentary on the life and times of heavyweight champion Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali was a very notable figure in the 20th century and may have arguably been the greatest boxer of all time. At least Muhammad Ali thought so when he said as much in one of his favorite quotes, I am the greatest. He saw no reason to be humble especially when he was better than anyone he faced. It seems like conversations revolving around sports lend themselves quite well to talk about who is the greatest of all time, or the GOAT. Whether it's Michael Jordan as the greatest basketball player, Muhammad Ali as the greatest boxer, to, as much as I hate to admit it, Tom Brady as the greatest quarterback ever, Yet these conversations are not restricted to sports bars or the living room couch on Sunday afternoons in the fall. This talk of greatness filters into other areas of our life as well. Our families, our friend groups, our schools, our workplaces. 
It usually takes on the form of feeling like your opinions deserve to be heard more than workplace or at school than someone else's opinions. You deserve that promotion at work more than the other person who actually received the promotion. Your order at the coffee shop or the restaurant should have a higher priority than other people's orders. You deserve your spouse to sacrifice more for you than you had to do for them, especially after the day at work you just had. Your time is more precious during the rush hour than the hundreds of other cars stuck around you. And the world tells you that, that you deserve more. You deserve better. Now, while there may be some times that we think we are the greatest, the rest of the time we can rest secure knowing that at least I'm greater than a classmate, a co-worker, a friend. Yet there are two problems with this kind of greatness. The first is that it's never satisfied. The second is it has a limited shelf life. There will be others that come around that are greater than you, better than you, smarter than you, stronger than you, faster than you. And then where does that leave you? Not in a great place. Contrast that with what we hear from Jesus today in our gospel. He knew all about the way the world and people in the world view greatness. But he spoke of greatness in a different way. He spoke of a greatness that doesn't come from being greater than others, but the greatness in serving others greatly. This concept of using our gifts, our experiences, our talents to serve others greatly is so foreign to us that even Jesus' own disciples had trouble with it. We see that in our gospel reading for today. It takes place as Jesus and his disciples are traveling through Galilee, the northern part of Israel. But what has just happened may help to explain the disciples' behavior. This happened shortly after the transfiguration of Jesus. The transfiguration was when Jesus chose three and just three of his twelve disciples to come up with him to a mountaintop. And it's on that mountaintop that Jesus pulls back the curtain and shows Peter, James, and John exactly who he was. He shows them the full glory of the Son of God in heaven. And then the heavens open up and the God the Father says, This is my Son whom I love. Listen to him. Then when the experience was over, what does Jesus say? Don't talk about this. Don't tell anyone about this until the Son of Man rises from the dead. Can you imagine what it would have been like to sit on a secret like that? How tempted would Peter, James, or John have been to share that experience? How tempted would you have been to share that experience if you had had it? Because that's what we do, right? When your kid is born, you want to tell all your friends and family about it. Because then they can share in your joy. When your team wins a championship or simply a big game, you want to tell others about it. When we experience something special, we share it with those close to us. And even sometimes the people who aren't as close to us, almost as if to say that I have something that you don't. And in this small way, I'm better than you. 
Take it back to the disciples. When they reach their resting place for the night, Jesus asks them an awkward question. What were you arguing about on the road? It was awkward because they had been arguing about who was the greatest. Do you think that argument may have started because of what Peter, James, and John saw? Put yourself in the shoes of Peter, James, and John. Don't you think there may have been a little something inside them that made them think that they were a little higher up the pecking order of the disciples? That Jesus had picked them to see his glory and not the others? I can only imagine when they got back to the disciples how that conversation would have gone. Peter, James, and John perhaps reflecting a little bit of the glory they saw on the mountaintop. Then the others coming up to them and asking, what happened? We can't talk about it, say Peter, James, and John. It's just between us and Jesus. Their experience made them feel great, greater than the other disciples. But why then did they feel so ashamed when Jesus asked them about it? Because they knew deep down they were wrong. Jesus exposed their fight over greatness as nothing more than selfish jockeying. So too it is with us. Whether we claim to be the greatest or even claim to be greater than those around us. Our thoughts mimic the disciples when we think that we are greater because of the gifts, experiences, or talents we've received. Yet how does that always work out for you? Does it really make you feel better to say that you are more patient than your spouse is or that you bring more to the relationship than he does? Does it really make you feel better to tell your friend all the ways you've been there for them when they haven't always been there for you? Does it truly feel good to argue about who is the greatest? Which is why Jesus calls us out too in our striving for this kind of greatness. And what we need to realize is this isn't the reason God gives us our patience, our kindness, our time management skills, or any of our experiences. We must realize God gives us these things so we can serve others greatly. Take Peter, James, and John, for example. Why were those three picked to witness Jesus' transfiguration? We don't know for sure, but we can see how God used them in his church. Peter became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. James was the first apostle to die for his faith. And John was the apostle who lived the longest, who would lead the church for decades. Their witness of the transfiguration was something they would use not only as a mark, not as a mark of pride, but as a way to serve God's church greatly. And the same is true for me and for you. The gifts God has given you, he didn't give you to achieve greatness for yourself, but to serve others greatly. Maybe you are more patient than your spouse, but maybe God gave you that patience because he knew your spouse would need it. Maybe you have the ability to be there for, for your friends in a way that they can't be there for you, but maybe God knew that's exactly what your friends would need. This is the greatness that Jesus is talking about. And it's a greatness that we can show not only when 
people deserve it, but even when people don't deserve it. It's a greatness that we can show even to those who are not able to pay us back. And Jesus shows this with what he did next. He took a little child and had him stand up among them. And then taking that child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Even in our warped human minds, we can maybe get our heads around the first point that Jesus is making. Be kind to others. Use your gifts to help others out. And part of the reason is we think that this is a way that we can look good before others. And maybe other people might do the same thing for us if the shoe were on the other foot. And yet what Jesus says here takes it to the next level. He takes a child and says, serve this child. In first century Palestine, this was a radical concept. We live in a ch culture that tends to worship children, puts them up on a pedestal, gives them everything they want, gives them the best opportunities. It wasn't quite like that in Jesus' day. It's not that people didn't love their children, though. It's just that child mortality rates were so high. It would not be to anyone's advantage to being kind to a child, especially one not your own. In fact, children had the same rights as slaves while they were young. That is, really no rights. Yet what Jesus was saying is to be great in my upside-down kingdom, you need to put yourself last. You need to serve even those who cannot repay you. That's something completely radical. And yet even greatness like this is not good enough to earn God's favor. Even greatness like this by us is not good enough to get us to heaven. Because our service to others still falls far short of the goal. And yet by serving others greatly, we follow Christ. We follow what Christ wants us to see, and that is him. For he was the very reason that he came down. This was the very reason that Jesus was heading to the cross in Jerusalem. It was the very reason that every fiber of his being, every instant of his life was spent in service to others. And that service was not the miracles he performed or even the words he preached. That service was living his life for us. His service was taking our punishment upon himself to make us clean, to give us a heaven we could never earn. This is what makes Jesus the greatest of all. This is what makes him first in God's kingdom. Because by his life, his death, his resurrection, he served us. Now in his play, The Twelfth Night, William Shakespeare wrote this famous line. Do not be afraid of greatness. Some are born great, some achieve greatness, and others have greatness thrust upon them. The intention of that quote is, I believe, not to be afraid when you are thrust into an opportunity to do something great or be something great, whether for yourself or others. But as Christians, we can tweak it just a little bit and look at it in a slightly different way. We can know that it was Jesus who was the one who was born great. And Jesus is the one who achieved the greatness of heaven for us by that life, death, and resurrection. And he has now thrust this opportunity to show greatness upon us. Greatness not as the world views it, 
Greatness not to puff ourselves up, but greatness in serving others greatly. Amen. Now may he who began a good work in you carry it out to completion on the day of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.